Amen. All right, if you're right there at Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1, Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1, say amen. amen. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. See, even back then they had April 15th. Look at that. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now notice this phrase right here. Notice, look right here, underline it, put a star by it. Because there was no room. There was no room for them. There was no room for them in the end. I want to focus our message tonight in verse number 7 in this season that we are in. And and I've I've, I've seen it around and you have too. That Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, let me just say this. Jesus is the reason for every season. He created the seasons. He's the fall of the year and the 4th of July. He he is all of the sea. He is the reason for every changing of the leaf. He is the reason that we have sunlight and darkness. He is the reason that day comes and day goes. And it is His day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I love this time of year when we begin to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the world, may, though they may commercialize it, though they may make merchandise out of it, though they may pad their pockets and fill their coffers from their Black Friday sales, though the networks may uh, bring every musical special with every ungodly so-called artist in the world singing songs of Christmas time. Hey, there is a reason for this season and it is Jesus Christ. Amen. But in our verse tonight in verse 7, I'm keyed in on one particular phrase. There was no room. There was no room. And I want to preach in these next few moments tonight on this thought. No room for Jesus. No room for Jesus. If we look into these first two verses tonight, we'll see that without rereading it, Caesar was making room in the citizens' pockets (laughs) through the taxes. He was clearing out some room in all of their bank accounts for his governmental budget. There was some room made in the finances of the people of this part of the world. In verse number 3, we see a couple. And we see all, it said there, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. The citizens of that country, the citizens of that part of the world made room in their calendar. They made room to schedule a trip to their place and the the city of their heritage. There was room made in their priority and their scheduling for this taxing. 
that the government put in. And they didn't just mail in their taxes. They didn't do some sort of e-filing, turbo tax. No, they had to come and appear in person. Mm. What if we had to do that today? Boy, that'd be awesome. We ought to do that. Let's start a movement. Go hand in your taxes in person. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But they made room in their prior, they made room in their budgets, and they made room in their schedules. They made room in the priorities to appear in person. And here in verse number four and five, we see two very important people. We see Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary made room in their life, not just for these taxes, but they, they made room in their life for each other. Listen with me now. Mary and Joseph made room for each other in their life. We know that they were espoused. We know that they were engaged. We know that through that, mm, that Near Eastern uh, culture that there were some family arrangements that had been made. There were some family arrangements that had been made and those two young people, well, whatever age they were, those two people were brought together and they were as good as married. They were engaged. But something happened. Something happened to shake every bit of that up. There was some announcements that were made. There was a prophetic announcement in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bring forth a son, his his name shall be called Emmanuel. There was a prophetic announcement, but then there was a personal announcement. Flip back over to chapter number 1. Look at chapter number 1, verse 26. There was a personal announcement to Mary. Now, can you imagine this? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph, name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her. He came into the room there and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, amen, and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, How how shall this be? See, and I know not a man. The angel answered, said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mm, What about that? There was a personal announcement. But but, but, but there's another person involved. Flip back over to Matthew. Flip back over to Matthew. Now in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter number 1, we look at verse number 18. Birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Uh Uh-oh. That's not good. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord. Boy, I ain't got time to do it right now. But when you look, see that angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, that's a Christophany, that's a theophany, that's an appearance of Christ in a spirit form. Okay, now hold on. See what we're fixing to read and think about that for just a second. Look at, look at, look at. Mm. 
An angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so, I got a time out. The Christ that was in Mary was appearing to Joseph in the Spirit. What kind of God is that? That's him right there. So here is the announcement. And we won't read it all. He shall save his people from their sins. Joseph, verse 24, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. He called his name Jesus. Joseph had every legal right to have her stoned and put to death. And notice this. There is no mention in the book of Matthew that Mary told Joseph her espoused betrothed fiance all this business with the angel Gabriel and the Holy Ghost and oh yeah I'm going to have a baby but you know what they did they made room for the Lord in their lives together they made room for Jesus. They came to an agreement and they said, Mary said it in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1 and said, let it be as be it unto me according to thy word. She made room in chapter number two, one of Matthew. Joseph said, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. They made room for each other and they made room for God in their marriage. Verse 6 of Luke in our text tonight, I would say it this way. Mary made room in her body for the Christ child. In her body. Now listen. When Jesus, listen with me right here. When Jesus in Matthew 22 is questioned by the Pharisees, Master, which is the greatest commandment. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy uh, 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 spirit, with all thy strength. And, all, and in Luke and Mark's account, it adds, with all thy strength. Hmm. Well, that's your body. So what he's saying is the greatest commandment is that we love him with our emotions, that we love him with the eternal part of our, our soul, that we are to love him with our intellect, with all our mind, and with all our strength. We're to love him with our body. That's all of us. But in verse number 7 of our text, the world had no room for Jesus. There was no room for Jesus. Hmm. What is our life? This is a, this, here in the entitlement states of America that we live in in these days. Here's what we hear. This is my life. This is my life. This is my life. Well, I don't want to bust your bubble, but if you're saved, it's not your life. Your life is hid in His. You are not your own. You are purchased with a price. This body is just a vehicle for his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? No, you're not. What is it? No, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's right. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Amen? This is, this is the room that we need to make for him. But, but we've only got so much life to live. Well, that's right. The psalmist tells us. Chapter 90 of Psalms, verse 10, it says, For our days, the days of our years are three score and ten. That's 70 years. 
And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, eighty years, yet is their strength and sorrow for soon be cut off and we fly away. What did James say? James chapter 4 verse 14. He said, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth at for a little time and then vanisheth away. Man, the life that we live, it can be broken down to segments. That, that infant stage when we're carried, that childhood stage when we're learning to walk and we're learning to talk and we're educated into that time when we're strong enough to get out and make a living for ourselves, and we enjoy ourselves in marriage and we have children and we have that young children stage and then we have that toddler stage and you know that, that, that baby stage we're teaching them to walk and talk and then we spend the next 20 years telling them shut up, sit down, you know. And then here comes school time and teenagers. Oh, Lord, we've got those stages in our life. And then you got the empty nest, right? And then, then you work and you work. And then you get to that retirement stage. And then you want to retire. And then you retire and you go sit down. And you ain't got nothing to do. And uh. You've got all these sections and our life is sectioned out. I, 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 my, my daughter, she's got a little business and she works in and she's going to school and both of my daughters, they work off of a calendar and they work hour by hour and they have to map out our day. Sometimes they travel with me, sometimes they, most times they don't these days. But they have to really watch and schedule how they get things done hour by hour and figure out when we're going to sleep. I was doing some research on this message and I, and I look back on how people spend their lives. Back in 2009, stay with me right here, Georgetown University did a survey, did a study. They did a statistical analysis on how people spend their lives. Now, this is 2009, remember, 2009. Think about what all has happened between 2009 and 2022. But, but look at this. Let me read these off. According to Georgetown University's 2009 survey, Americans... The average American will earn between just under $1 million in the $900,000 range to $3.7 million within their working lifetime. That sounds like a bunch of money, except when you're just getting it paycheck to paycheck. Amen. But all told, that's, that's the amount of money that someone from age 25 to 64 makes in their working life. USA Today went on to say, Talk about the taxes that we pay. Oh, here's a real good encouraging part right here. North Carolina, for instance. North Carolina, this is in 2009. North Carolina residents pay over the span of their lifetime $362,634 in taxes. Merry Christmas. Hmm. New York State, which has the highest taxes in the country, their residents will pay seven, somewhere in the neighborhood of $735,000 in taxes. Now, when you study and you see that the average earner earns a million to 3.7 in there, that, that, that takes out a big old chunk, doesn't it? But we spend a tremendous amount of time of our life working. The lowest taxes in the country was Washington State, 321000 Hootie hoo for them. Good night. And so they had other, they had other things. They, they went over how much time we spend in school, how much time we, go, we spend getting to places, people's driving commute, 
We was talking today about the distance we drive to church. A lot of you drive a long way. We live 40 miles from our church. It takes us nearly a solid hour to get to our church back home from where we live. But I drive it gladly. I burn up them dead dinosaurs in that gasoline gladly to get to my church. But we spend a tremendous amount of time and we make room in our life for these things. Let me give you some of this, just little fun facts here. Okay? So they talked about different things. All right, sleeping. How many of y'all sleep? Okay, that's everybody. Somewhat, sometime, you sleep. Okay, here's what they say about sleeping. If you sleep eight hours a day and you live the average lifespan in America, here's how much you sleep in your life. 229,961 hours. That's a lot. That's eight hours a day. Guess how many hours you spend eating in your life. Now, some of y'all, this is going to vary. <laughs> 32,098 hours. I'm pushing that way up. You know, I'm pushing that average up. 37,935 hours driving. Now, I'm quadruple that if the average driver drives that. I put 50,000 miles on my vehicle this year going to meetings. 50,000. I get an oil change about every three or four weeks. That's a lot of driving. I spend a lot of time under that wheel. It's a lot of time, and I'm okay with that. That's a, that's a part of my life. Okay, working. If you work a 40-hour work week, which who in the world does that anymore? But a 40-hour work week, if you work 40 hours a week, over the course of an average lifespan, you'll work 90,360 hours. Now, here comes the good stuff. Television. Now, remember when we used to watch television? Remember that? 2009, before we had everybody had a computer on their phone, you know, and all these little things. Nobody watches TV anymore. Everybody just watches their phone, right? Am I right? But here's what they said about people watching TV. Over a squint of a lifetime, you ready? 80,486 hours of TV in your lifetime. That's an average of about 2.8 hours a day in 2009. Hmm, that's nine years of your life. Watching TV. But we make room for it. We got to watch our programs. Say who's going to win. Amen. Right? How about cleaning? Now this, some of this is going to vary because I don't know. I got two teenage daughters and some of this cleaning business. This has probably gone down. 12,896 hours cleaning. That's a year and a half of your life cleaning. Now in 2009 they said 28,300 hours on the internet. Now that's 2009. That's before Instagram. That's pre-Snapchat. That's pre-YouTube subscription type stuff. That's pre-streaming television. 2009. You remember that? That wasn't that long ago. But this stuff did not exist 13 years ago. And so if that number is that, and that, they were judging that beginning at age 5, what would it be now? And you know what we do? We make room for every one of those things. And we don't even think about it. We don't even think about what we do, how long it takes us to do these things. We don't even consider it as an option. I mean, it's, it's a necessity to do these things. And all these studies, it didn't include school. It didn't include hobbies. It didn't include courting and dating time and all. It didn't, it didn't even include idle time. 
But we make room for all this stuff. But in verse 7 of our text, the world had no room for Jesus. And let me just remind you, the world still has no room for Jesus. That's why people gripe and complain when somebody puts a little cross up on the side of the road where somebody died. They're not mad because somebody died there. They're mad at that cross. They don't have any room for the cross of Christ in their lives. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to be around it. They don't want you to say anything about it. No room for Jesus in this world still to this day. It wasn't just on that long night years and years ago in a little town of Bethlehem when all the hotels were booked up and they ended up in a cattle stall and they laid the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, down in that hay. The world still has no room for Jesus. But we'll make room for things in our life that we want to do. All of us. Hey, look, let me just tell y'all something. Y'all, I ain't never preached here before. But when I preach, I preach with a mirror right here. Because the Lord has preached this to me five times before I ever preach it before you. Amen. So don't think that I'm coming down on you. I'm preaching to me too. Amen. So we make room for trips and taxes just like they did. We make room for our finances and for our fun. We make room and priority for our eating and our education. We make room for our social media and our sports. We make room for our hunting and our fishing. And I'm not saying that any of those things is wrong or inherently evil. But we make room for so many things. But we come real close to the world because we don't leave much room for Jesus. Told you I drive all the time. Well, one of the things I do to pass the time driving down the road is I get on there. Any y'all ever heard of Alexander Scorby? Alexander Scorby reads the King James Bible in the. I can't do an English accent like that. I can do plenty of redneck accents and things like. I can't do that. And Alexander Scorby. It used to be on the cassette tapes. Y'all remember what a cassette tape was? Y'all remember? Cassette tapes. Well, then they put it on CD. It's like hundred and forty dollars for the set. To hear Alexander Scorby read the Bible, King James Bible. Well, now it's for free on the internet. So I'll pull it up on my phone, put in my little, little, my little earbuds, and I'll listen to Alexander Scorby read the Bible while I'm driving down the road. Well, I got to doing this message, and I got to thinking about how we make room for the Lord in our lives. And, and on all, every one of those videos, it's broken down book by book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all 66 books. And on those videos, just like every other video that's on YouTube. Oh, I said YouTube. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's a time stamp on there of how long that video is. So I added all those videos up of him reading all 66 books of the Bible from start to finish. Care to guess? how long it took Alexander Scorby to read the entire King James Bible? 75 hours. 75 hours. That doesn't seem like that much when you consider 32,098 hours eating. It doesn't seem like that much. When it's 229,961 hours sleeping, 75 hours, Alexander Scorby reads every word of the King James Bible. I did the math, 
And if you read one hour a day, one hour a day, one hour a day, 24 hours in a day, you got to go to work, you got to sleep, you got to take a bath, please take a bath, amen. You got to check on mom and them, you got to raise your kids. One hour a day of reading the King James Bible, if you did one hour a day, according to Alexander Scorby's very comfortable, very moderate pace of reading that Bible, you can read through the Bible one hour a day in a month and a half. Which means, if you do that math, a month and a half, that means, theoretically, mathematically, we could read the Bible through eight times in a year if we spent one hour a day reading the Bible. If we had room in our life for one hour of Bible reading, if we just had that much room, if we had that much time, boy, I don't know if I got time. I don't know if I got room. If we had room for one hour, we could read the Bible eight times through in a year. You know how many times that is? If you started when you were 12 years old and you lived to be 70 years, a person could read their King James Bible through 464 times in their life. Oh me. Amen. Who, we, we can sneer and we can sing little songs about no room for Jesus and the world hates Jesus and the world doesn't want Jesus and all of that's absolutely true. But my friend, how much room are we making for Jesus in our life? Why is it? Why is it that when you get ready to go read the Bible and you say, I'm getting up 30 minutes early or I'm not going to do anything right before I go to bed. That's what I'm going to do. Right before I go to bed, I'm going to read the Bible for however how long. Or I'm going to get up 15 I'm going to get up and pray before. I, I'm going to get up a little bit early and I'm going, I'm going to stay up a little bit later. I'm going to do this. And Why is it that that time, that that little piece of room in their life always gets eaten up? Why is it that that happens? Is that just me? That's probably just me, not y'all. Y'all in North Carolina. I mean, hello. Come on. Bible belt and the buckle thereof. I have, I have, I have, you know what happens to me a lot of times? Zzz. I can't read my Bible without somebody sending me a text message or a Marco Polo or something like that. And what do I have to do? Well, what do they want? Well, then, well, go back. Okay, answer. Yeah, ha ha, LOL. Uh -huh, yeah, uh huh, bonk, bonk. Now, where was I? And then I had to figure out where I was. Zzz. What? Probably just me. Probably just me. And all that room that I mapped out, all that room that I blocked off, all that room that I scheduled, like vapor in the air. And when I could have read my Bible through eight times in a year, when I could have, not you, when I could have, when I could have read my Bible through eight times in a year, somehow that room just got kind of eaten away and just vanished. But they had no room for Jesus in Bethlehem. They had no room for Jesus in Bethlehem. You know what our, our self, and look, this is just talking about time. 
This is just talking about time. This is not talking about our dedications, our desires, our devotions, our decision-making processes. But it should show us our priorities and what we see as important. And we find ourselves so many times putting the primary source of our life, according to Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. We find a way to leave out room for Him. You know why? Because self demands all the room. It does for me. Probably not y'all. But it does for me. But have you ever gone to somebody's house for a visit and they say, make yourself at home. Now maybe up north they don't. I don't know about what Yankees do. But in the south we say, make yourself at home. Say, home. Make yourself at home. Okay, try this. Christmas time, y'all go visit mom and them. Or somebody. And they say, make yourself at home. And they go to work. And they come back. And you're in their closet in their filing cabinet. Looking through stuff. And they go, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking through your taxes. You said make myself at home. I was just looking around. And then they go to your refrigerator and they eat all your food. And you go, where'd all this? You said make yourself at home. And then you come in and they're wearing your clothes. What? You said make myself at home. These are nice. Real nice. I'm just going to wear these home. Man, these shoes fit great. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't mean make yourself that at home. Make yourself at home means like there's a room that I fixed for you and we eat at these hours and don't go looking in my filing cabinets. That's what we really mean. You come home and they've rearranged your pantry. Oh, I threw some stuff out. You got too much stuff. You don't want people, you don't mean that when you say make yourself at home. What you mean is come sit over here where, I'm, where I've designated for you to sit and eat when I tell you we're going to eat. And let's go when I want to go. That's what we really mean. Is that not right? But let's just suppose that the Holy Ghost is our house guest. In these last few little minutes, I don't want to keep you. I can keep you that long. But let's just suppose that the, the Holy Spirit is our house guest. And we bring him home. And we say, make yourself at home. And then we go to work, and he's at the house. And then we walk in. <laughs> and he's in your bedroom, looking under the bed, pulling out boxes. How long have you had these sweaters? That's not your business. This went out of style when the first Bush was in office. Why you still got that? Why you got a t-shirt from 1985? None of your business. Get out of my stuff. No, 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 no. You said, you said make myself at home. I'm the Holy Ghost. See, this is my dwelling place now, your house. I'm living in your house now. And you go, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. All right. Just, 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 just take this. Just slow down. Okay. Just, I got to get used to this. All right. Okay, okay. So you go to bed. And then you get up in the morning. And he's at your computer. And he's looking through your browser history. And you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I'm just looking around. You said make myself at home. I'm just looking at all the stuff you looked at on the internet. What are you? 
No, you said make myself at home. And then he goes to your closet. You come home the next day from work that day, and he's in your closet. I'm treading on danger. This is where I usually don't get invited back. And he pulls out some garment, and, and, and he says to you, he pulls out one of your, your daughter's garments, one of your wife's garments, and he says, you let them go out of the house in that? What are you doing in my closet? You said make myself at home. And then he goes over to your bookshelf and starts pulling things off. Hmm. And then he goes to your refrigerator. God help us. He's doing that at his own risk. I'm just telling you. Because I, I stay gone for like two weeks at a time. And if there's any leftovers, gets left over in there. It's a science experiment when I get back. So, you know. But you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to tell the Holy Spirit, make yourself at home. And you know what there can't be? It can't be that we show the Holy Spirit where he sleeps, where his room is. And tell him just, I hope you enjoy your room. Because this is my room over here. This is my man cave. What do the women call it? A she shed? This is mama's office. This is mama's, mama's time. Amen. That's my kid's room. You ever, no, 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 look, look parents. You, you parents with young children. It's not their room. It's the room you let them live in. That lock? Mm-mm. Now. Mm-mm. It's my phone. No. Who's paying for that? Sobering question. Is there any room in our house where the Holy Spirit is not welcome? Oh, but Brother Adam, I go to church. Yeah, amen, good. Brother Adam, I pray. Amen, hallelujah. I hadn't even talked about the time that he went over and got in your bank account. I said make yourself at home, but let's don't get crazy. See, they had no room for Jesus, but they didn't care about him. To them, he was nothing. To the world, he was just some guy. To the world, there's some people that don't even know or even realize or think that he even existed. No room for him, for them. But if we're saved, it's not just a room, but it's what the Bible calls the fullness. The fullness. I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn. Over to Ephesians 3, I'm going to read this. Ephesians 3, 17. You can turn if you want to. You might beat me there. Ephesians 3, 17. I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth, passeth understanding that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. That means there's no private room for you. That means that every room in you is His. That means that He lives in you fully. That there's no room that He's excluded from. 
Romans 5, 18, it says this. Be not drunk with wine. We amen that part. Where in his excess? But be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, being filled with the Spirit is not some kind of herky-jerky charismatic experience. That's not what we're talking about. He said over there in Galatians 5.16 that we should walk in the Spirit that we might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we're spirit, we don't need to be Spirit-filled just to raise our hands. That's not the whole, the whole thing about being filled with the Spirit. You need to be full of the Spirit of God when you get into traffic. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God when you go down to the job site. You need to be filled with the Spirit and full of God when you go to school. You need to be full of God when you're facing in this wicked world with no rooms locked off. No room. I wrote a little song a couple years ago. I'm not a big song. I've only, I've written a couple little things. Nothing, nobody, nothing anybody hears. I wrote this little song. I heard this sermon illustrated. I'm closing right here. But y'all don't get professional Christian on me here and stop listening, okay? Don't zip up your Bible and start like discussing where you're going to eat and stuff. Because there ain't nowhere to eat right around here. You're going home. Amen. I wrote this little song. I heard this sermon illustration about this little boy who was in a Christmas play. I heard it three times in one week by different preachers. And man, it got stuck in my head. And I was working over there at Kubota Industrial Equipment down in Jefferson, Georgia. And I was a cycle counter. I counted inventory. And around that factory, there was these little motorized robots that pulled carts that had all the parts that they made those implements out of front end loaders and backhoes and things like that. And they're low to the ground. And the little Japanese people, they, what they do is they, they make little ice cream truck music on those things so you know when they're coming. So I hear that little melody going on around my... And I start to thinking about that illustration. I wrote this little song. It goes like this. Billy was the innkeeper at our church Christmas play. A single line, we have no room, is all he had to say. The shepherds in their bathrobes and glittered angel wings. The sets were almost finished for our play on Christmas Eve. Well, it always bothered Billy about where the Savior lay. It wasn't right the Lord was forced to lay down in the hay. He wondered what would happen. <laughs> he wondered what they would do if Billy took that single line and changed a word or two. So when Mary and Joseph knocked upon his door, Little Billy, he said something more. He said, you can have my room. There's no need to go to the stable. You can have my place at the table. Everything I have is yours. You can have my room. Well, that room grew very quiet. Many wiped away a tear. That little boy's line had changed the atmosphere. The preacher stood to speak. The point had been made clear, and he said, 
I believe Billy's message is the one we need to hear. And without one note of just as I am, humble hearts bowed before the Lord and gave him all they had. They prayed, Lord, you can have my room. <laughs> There's no need to wait any longer. I lay my life down at this altar. Everything I have is yours. Lord, you can have my room. There's no need to go to the stable. You can have my place at the table. Everything I have is yours. Lord, you can have my room. I wonder what would happen if we would be like that little boy in that story and not turn him away and say, I don't have room for you. Won't you go out to the barn? I wonder what would happen if we would invite him not just to live in our heart, but to possess and live in our whole life. I wonder what would happen. Bye.